Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast, episode 53, How to Master the Craft of Consulting. Welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. I am your host, Diogen Tirandekura. On this show, you will discover the realities, the successes and the struggles of business management and information technology consultants in the fast-moving B2B world. So stay tuned if you want to know more about what it takes to have a consulting lifestyle. My guest today is Deb Zahn. Deb has one craft, and that's the craft of consulting. And this is essentially what we will be talking about during this episode. She has an experience, an extensive experience in the, uh, in the healthcare industry. And today, she is an independent consultant as well as a podcaster. So that's one thing that we have in common. And during this episode, you will hear a lot of great principles uh, that consultants need to apply and need to understand if they want to survive and thrive with their consulting business. So take a pen and paper and listen to the episode with Deb. Hello and uh, welcome to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast to Deb Zahn. Perfect. You... Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be on your show. Yes, I am uh, delighted as well to have you uh, uh, on, uh, on my show because you are not only a consultant, but you're also a podcaster. That's already two common points that we have. That's right. <laughs> Love podcasting. <laughs> exactly. So uh, you, you host a podcast called uh, The Craft of Consulting. Uh, and let's start uh, for the audience. Let's start by having you uh, sharing your uh, career story. Uh, Certainly. So I started about a decade ago as a healthcare consultant after having been in my field for you know over 20 years. And I started at a small national firm and then became independent and, you know, ended up doing work that I love, you know, built up a steady stream of business, you know, routinely brought in, you know, six, seven figures a year. And then what I ultimately decided to do after a decade is still be a consultant because I love it, but also to um, launch the craft of consulting, which is a business where I help professionals start and build and grow their consulting business, really focusing on those first two critical make or break it years, you know, the, mm -hmm. the times where you're struggling and figuring out how to do it. And what I want to do is just make it easier for people, help them be successful faster, and hopefully avoid a lot of the frustration and mistakes that I know that I made at the beginning, and I know that a lot of other consultants make as well. Uh, interesting. Uh, yes, you're, you're, you're right. It's always good to have someone that has been there and done that uh, when we start something, whether it's consulting or anything else. <laughs> That's right. Um, you said that uh, you uh, worked at, uh, at a healthcare um, health, you did healthcare consulting. Uh, what is meant by that? Are you working with uh, hospitals on their organization, or? Yeah, I'm happy to to get into that a little bit. So, healthcare is a whole lot of different things. I tend to work with providers. So, yes, I've worked with hospitals. I've worked with other types of providers, like you know, providers that focus on mental health, that, that focus on um, low income communities. And generally, what I do is I help them figure out how to deliver care in the best possible way so that their, their patients are actually achieving great outcomes 
and to stay ahead of major shifts in the market. So for example, uh, changes in the way that they're actually being paid, there's a major shift happening right now in the, U- in the U.S. And what I do is I help them figure out how to get ahead of that so that not only can they survive, but they figure out how it helps them achieve their goals. Or if they're going to do a merger or acquisition, I help them do that so that they, it ultimately leads to the success that they want. Okay, that is that, that is that is amazing. Uh, and is it because right now you are an independent consultant, so it is also what you're also specialized in that uh, industry. Correct. Yeah the the firm that I worked for, which was absolutely wonderful firm, that's the work they did, and now as an independent, um, that's the type of work I do, and I just I love it because ultimately it's about helping people. Yes, indeed, and. Uh, Talking about uh, helping people, so you also, as you said, also help uh, individuals to uh, uh, start their consulting business. And uh, maybe, so right now we are in early August, early August uh, 2020. We are still in the middle of a uh, pandemic, economic economic crisis. And we, uh, we may have a lot of people changing careers or maybe wondering if they uh, should start as a as consultant. And you help them to start uh, by reducing uh, the risk of uh, that comes with uh, starting their uh, their business. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Certainly. So when it actually started when I was at the, the, the national firm is we would hire professionals. So these are people who've actually done really good things, you know, within their field under employment. And then they would suddenly become consultants and it's a whole different world. Like you have to mm-hmm. learn and to do all of these things that you've never had to do before. So I inevitably would start coaching people mainly because I hate to watch people suffer. And people would hear, oh, if you're not sure, go to Deb. She'll help you figure out how to do that. So right now, there's additional risk. So there was already the risk of not understanding how to actually do the business side of consulting. And now there's additional risk because of an economic downturn and because, you know, we're in the midst of a pandemic. So what I really focus on is mainly helping people first recognize that you have to do two things when you're launching a consulting business. The first is you have to be an expert at something. So you have to be able to do something that helps clients achieve their results. And and I do think that's critical because I don't think that's something you can Google or YouTube your way into expertise. You actually have to have been in the <laughs> workforce and, and know how to do something. But that's only one side of it. So the other side of it is you have to know that you're also the CEO of a consulting business. So there's this entire business side of consulting, which is where I see a lot of folks struggle because for a lot of people, they never had to do that before and it requires new knowledge, it requires new skills. And that's where a lot of the risk pops up. The risk pops up in terms of understanding how to describe your value in a market in a way that's going to get you business, understanding how to actually sell what you do so that you get business and you get income coming in, how to deal with tricky client conversations, how to construct a contract that actually is going to keep you happy and keep the, you know, keep uh, your risk down in terms of, you know, making sure that the client gets what they want and that you're not losing money. There's a whole host of things that are related to that business side that most professionals who suddenly transition to consulting, there's no reason they would know any of that unless it directly relates to what they did before or marketing. Why would they know how to do marketing unless they've been a marketing professional? 
So those are some of the risks that pop up. And what I help people with is learning how to take their expertise and monetize it so that they're actually getting paid for the wonderful things they can help clients do, but to really understand what that business side is and understand how to make choices as a CEO would and not just a really smart person who knows how to do things. Yeah, that's a very important uh, distinction. So uh, being the uh, knowing your craft, uh, as you said, the craft of consulting uh, is, is, uh, is one thing. And then being the CEO of your uh, of a business is, uh, is something else. And uh, for for approximately, uh, if you have an average, I don't know for for how long does it take to make uh, that transition for the, the people you uh, you you work for? It it really depends on the person. So I'm been working with someone recently. One of the things that I do is is I do coaching, and one person I worked with from start to finish, three weeks, she got her first contract worth over $100,000. And and I was able to help her think through, you know, who do you go to? How do you describe your value? How do you, you know, put tiers within your contract so that they have options? And how do you try and get them to go to the top option? Because that's where they're going to get the most value. How do you talk about value? Now that they want to talk about the contract, how do you negotiate? So she was three weeks she knew her stuff. She applied, you know, she applied the things that she learned. I had tools that she worked with and she got her first client very quickly. Um, other folks, if they have particular confidence issues or mindset blocks, it could take them a little bit longer. You, you know what the mindset blocks are. They're imposter syndrome. There's the perception, oh, I could never sell. That's just not me. Or perceived scarcity. There's just not enough business out there and, and I'm going to fail, so I shouldn't even try. So sometimes it takes a little bit longer at the beginning if you have to get past some of those mindset blocks and build up, like you don't have to be perfectly confident, but build up enough confidence that you're willing to take the steps that you have to take. And that's really where I think mindset is so critical because mindset drives action. And so if that gets in your way, the faster you can you can retool your mindset, the faster you're going to be successful. But really, the, I think the first two years are the most critical. You should be, you know, able to get clients you know, within the first few months, if you apply the right principles, you take the right actions. Some people, as I said, it's going to be much faster, but it, you really have to know that your business is going to be solid within the first two years. And what I see happen is if folks can't do that, then they typically run back to employment. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. You made a great point on a, on mindset and the the, the time of, I mean, being able to have some result during the first two years so that you have a enough uh, confidence to uh, to go uh, to go forward uh, are you are you uh, targeting a specific demographic i am assuming because you talk about the us i'm assuming that uh, you you work mostly with people living in the us but are you working with is there is there a, an industry particular for the for your clients or is there any any person uh... so any industry that Basically, the principles of consulting apply regardless of what the particular industry or topic area is. Like, you still have to go out and get business. And it doesn't matter, are you selling healthcare services or are you selling IT services? Mm -hmm. The principles are generally the same. And so I, I work across fields and across industries. 
Um, most of the coaching I'm doing right now is in the U.S., but I'm delighted to say that the podcast at this point, I think, is in 72 countries, uh, which wow. <laughs> I have, like, I have Australia and Spain are competing for third place, <laughs> but <laughs> it's, it's the U.S., it's Canada, it's either Spain or Australia, depending on the day, but I have listeners in Thailand, Singapore, um, New Zealand, all over the world. It's been, uh, it's been delightful to see that. Yes, yes. Uh, that, that, that's the kind of, I want to say, the magic of podcasting is that it's, you, you, you just need an internet and iTunes account or a Spotify account, and then you can listen to the, to the podcast. <laughs> it's amazing, uh, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. It is. And uh, by, the, by the way, on the, on the podcast, why did you want to start the, the podcast and when did, you, uh, when did you start it? So I started the podcast at the end of April in 2019. So I'm just, I'm over a year of doing it and I put it out weekly. Sometimes I do some special episodes in addition to that. Um, I, I really wanted to do it because what I felt like when I was originally coaching people when I was at my firm, which I was you know, doing just out of, out of the desire to help people, hmm. you can't scale that. So scale is an issue with consultants, right? Like you have to figure out how you're going to scale your business that doesn't mean you're working 24-7. And I thought a podcast would be a great way to deliver a message to way more people than I could do in individual conversations. And what I realized is I was having the same conversations over and over again. Everybody was having the same types of problems. I'm, go I'm going out and I'm having all of these, you know, back when we could go outside and, and relate to other people, you know, going out and having all of these coffees and teas and drinks and it's not getting anywhere. Nobody's hiring me. What do I do? I heard that over and over and over again. A podcast is a way to talk about those things that reaches more people. The other reason I did it, I probably for the same reason you do, is I get to have really smart people come on my podcast and say really smart things. And I'm like a sponge. And I mm -hmm. have changed the way that I do some of my consulting based on things that I've heard from my Yes, I've actually connected some of my guests with my clients because I found out that, oh, there is somebody who does this fabulous thing. So it's also a way to get into conversation with other really smart people that I can learn from and others can learn from. Yeah, totally, uh, totally agree. And I have the chance to have someone saying smart things on my podcast now. Oh, so. thank you. <laughs> So uh, uh, yeah, I agree, and I, I started also for uh, approximately the, the the same reasons. So uh, uh, being a sponge and learn for uh, from others, and also it was because um, so I'm talking for 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 me. Um, it was because when I started in consulting, I had no idea what it was. Yeah, and, uh, I have done no resource, no books to read, etc. So I think it can help as well uh, uh, some maybe younger people or some people that uh, have no experience in a, in a consult. That's right, and and that's what, how it often happens when people start is is hopefully you know you know something that there's a demand for in the market or at least something that you've accomplished before that you can point to. But then it's now go be a consultant, sink or swim, <laughs> and. <laughs> As I said, it takes new knowledge and new skills about business that 
you have to get somewhere. And I, and I think you're right. I think a podcast like yours, a podcast like mine, is a great way to, to get some of that information. Yes. And you, you mentioned uh, scaling uh, in your, um, in one of, as one of the reasons for, uh, for the podcast. Uh, is it something that you want to apply to your business? Because at the moment, you're a solopreneur, right? Mm-hmm. So is it, is it something you, do you see yourself building a team in the future? So I am fortunate that I get to work with a team all of the time. So sometimes it's just solo and me. Sometimes it's, it's people from the previous firm where I worked for. Sometimes it's other consulting firms. That's actually not just a great way to learn from other people. It's a great business strategy because, for example, there are several firms Um, probably three or four that I've worked with on projects repeatedly. And at this point, we all enjoy working together so much that we, you know, if one of us gets a project, invariably we're going to bring the other people in because often our complementary skills go together. So I'm fortunate in that way. But I think there's other opportunities to scale that I want to see more consultants pursue. So for example, um, and this is when I I was still at the firm, Uh, myself and and another consultant did something for a client where we developed an assessment tool and and they loved it and it was extraordinarily helpful for them but it was applicable to lots of other folks in the market and and we said wait a minute this is fantastic we should make sure that other people get access to it but we knew that scale was going to be a problem so we actually turned it into a product we made it an online product so that it could be automated because that was the only way to keep the price where we needed the price to be and then we went out to um, sell it and we didn't just sell it to individual organizations what we did is we went to trade associations we went to you know other types of folks that would fund on behalf of many different organizations. And so that's a way to scale what consultants do that isn't just, you know, time for money where I, you know, I show up and I do this project for you and this is how I get paid for it. There's other ways to deliver our services that enable us to do more good out in the world and to be able to scale our business so we're not just relying on how much time we have during the day. And it was enormously successful. It made well into the six figures. Uh, Great. Uh, Congratulations. And indeed, that's a great uh, example of uh, uh, using uh, your knowledge um, to uh, leverage it in another way than uh, just executing the work as, uh, as you mentioned. Because um, for a lot of uh, uh, independent consultants, uh, it's, um, they may first think about uh, t- trading time for money, uh, whereas there are other ways to, to sell yourself. And I think you did mention it uh, at the start also of our conversation, is the, how, how to be able to, to sell our value uh, to, right. uh, to, to the market. Uh, do, you, do you have, I don't know, do you have maybe a, a story, a, a success story about that or uh, an opinion on that maybe that you can Yes. See? Well, I have a personal experience with it, which, ah, perfect. which really made the difference between struggling and succeeding. So when I first started and, you know, I was professional, I had done good things in my market and boom, suddenly I'm a consultant and I have to go get business. And what I inevitably figured out is that I was having a difficult time describing my value in a particular market. And so what I did instead, which I see a lot of new consultants do, is I talked about my work history, (laughs) 
which is not my value in my market. That's my work history. And so, and I, and, and babble. So let's, you know, you, you say, here's all the things that I've done. Here's where I've worked. Here's the things I'm passionate about, you know, me, me, me. But the switch I had to make was one, it's not about me. It's about the client. So I should stop talking about myself so much. And what I should do is understand their pain points. I should understand the things that they most desire. And I should talk about the ways that I could help them using specific experience of of an example that builds my credibility that says, and yes, I actually know how to do what I'm describing to you, but to be able to describe value to a client and not just my work history and not just the things that I'm passionate about. Once I figured out that that's what was tripping me up and I changed my orientation, I changed my language, I actually developed a value proposition, which I encourage everybody to do. So I could say, here's what value I bring and results I can achieve for this specific market. And I had a specific niche that I was focused on. Uh, it It was like flipping a switch. It became so much easier to get clients and they loved it because somebody came in and started talking about them instead of talking about themselves. Yes, uh, that's a, that's a great uh, great story, and um, and indeed we we are used. When I say we, I mean I speak about myself and maybe a lot of people. We are used to to have job interviews, and uh, that's right. In, in job interviews, we are ask uh, for every. We have to justify absolutely every month of our professional career. <laughs> exactly. So, so we are used to enumerate everything. Yeah, this 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 is, and then but then when you're a consultant on your own, the decision that they are making is. It's not that they are, yes, they are hiring someone they will work with, but it's more, okay, what will they bring directly? Just, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, even in how I was just actually just on the phone coaching someone who is going in to speak to a prospective client and we we spent a half an hour working on how she was going to introduce herself. And that seems like a no-brainer, but I will admit I have butchered it. Other, I've seen other people butcher it. I, I have cringe-worthy experiences of being in teams and having people just go on and on. So we spent that time on how you're going to introduce yourself and what experience you're going to highlight quickly that matches what you know they care about. And when she goes to the next prospective client, that's going to be a different conversation because they have different things that they care about. They have different things that they're struggling with. And even something as simple as that of not assuming just like a job interview, well, I know who I am. I know, you know, I know what I've done. I can describe myself. Well, that's the place where it usually falls apart. And the reality is, is you usually have six to 10 seconds at the beginning to make an impression that they're going to want to listen to you. And that's why nailing something like that is so critical. Yes, uh, I agree. And it, it, make, it leads me to, to ask you what you think about, um, what we, we talk a lot about the, the importance of having an elevator pitch. Yeah, I think, I don't think it's one thing. So I, I prefer, and it's similar, I prefer a value statement, which essentially is for For if I'm talking generally to my market, like in a marketing piece, I will have a general value statement. So there was one podcast guest I had who I just loved hers. She did a lot of work on mergers and acquisitions and her value statement was, you know, I help companies successfully merge and be profitable on day one. 
I mean, talk about a powerful value statement. First of all, exactly. 75% of mergers fail. So it's bold <laughs> to say, <laughs> not only are you going to exceed, but you're going to be profitable on day one. I think something like that captures attention. When I'm, and so that's a little different than an elevator speech. When I, I am often brought in as a consultant when there's groups of people or various entities that have come together and they cannot agree and they can't make decisions. So my job is to come in and sometimes I'm brought in by other consultants. Sometimes I'm brought in by past clients who I can get a group of people to actually agree on something and be able to move forward. And what I say, little tongue in cheek, is I say, I cure decision-making disorders. <laughs> and right. usually it gets a nice laugh and people love it because they've all been in the rooms before where people can't decide and they just want to jump out the window. And I just told them I can cure that. And by the way, I can cure it. So I, I of course, have to back up what my promise is. But I think things like that, that describe sort of your unique value and having a value statement that is one or two sentences, and then you can back that up with examples is critical. And any new consultant should nail that down. Yeah, what you just said is amazing. Having a value statement uh, that is so so true. Also, the example that you that you mentioned with yourself talking about decision making disorder. Uh, it is something that is very quick, very easy. To, it's very easy to relate for your uh, target yes. client. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because everybody's <laughs> experienced it. The other yeah. thing is the value statement should should evoke emotions. So the reality is. And it's true for all of us. It's not just true for our clients. Most people don't make rational choices. We make emotional choices that we rationalize. <laughs> so uh, yes. it's, it's a different part of our brain. And so when I say something like that, or when she says, and profitable on day one, that's an emotional um, response that you're trying to generate because the risk of not being profitable is as much an emotional experience as it is anything else. The emotional experience of, of a group of people not being able to make decisions. So I, I think, think about it in terms of being able to succinctly describe your value to a particular market, or if you're in a particular, in front of a particular client, but you're also trying to get to their emotions because that's part of what consultants, how consultants get business is, mm -hmm we soothe them because they have a problem they're trying to solve and we're telling them we can solve it and we're showing them how we can solve it. And when we walk out of the room, they should feel like they could sleep at night. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. how you get business. Yes. You ease their, uh, I don't want to say easing pain, but uh, you, you you solve their problems basically, yeah. and uh, indeed they can they can sleep better uh, they can sleep better at night. And by the way, the day. So I was uh, because it's something I did not ask. You work with healthcare organizations, uh, but but who usually are your counterparts? Are you working uh, with people across the organization, or are you talking with the the CEO, the owners uh, of those organizations? Typically, it's the CEO. Um, so if I'm working with a, a provider, that's usually who I'm working with. If it's a hospital system, hospitals tend to be much larger and much more complex. But usually, even in a hospital system, if it's, if it's not the person at the top, it's you know, two or three people down. So it typically is the senior leaders. And one of the things that I help them with is if they're trying to get into a partnership, I help them figure out how to get people to agree or if they're ha or if they are making tough decisions that they can't talk to about the people that report to them. 
I'm their trusted advisor that they can have conversations with that they can't have with anybody else. Wow, that 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 is very important, and that is good if you you're able to gain the trust of uh, of them. And what what about your um? And I think it it can be related to uh, to what you just mentioned is uh, how do you get a new client? Uh, do you how do you get new leads or um? Yeah, how do you get new leads basically? Yeah, so uh, several different ways. So I always tell folks diversify. You should never have just one way of getting clients. There should be multiple ways because some have uh, some ways of getting clients have a longer lead time, but you have to have everything in play at once. So the main way that I get new clients is I get a lot of repeat business. So I've had some clients that I've worked with for you know six, seven plus years. And because I know that my biggest marketing tool is delivering excellence in all that I do. So they have an excellent experience. They get excellent results. We have a great time together. I get a lot of repeat business or I get a lot of referred business. So I get uh, my clients become my marketing ambassadors. I swear there's one that I think she talks about me more than my mom does. (laughs) She just tells everybody about me. And I've gotten a lot of business through that or through um, referrals that I ask for. So I'm not shy. If I want to get additional business within a particular market, I will ask people to be their reference or referral. But you also do have to do outreach and marketing. And those can be really tough for people who first start consulting. I'm thinking particularly with a group that I was working with that what they did is they just wrote down everybody they ever met (laughs) in their lives. And they said, well, these are all of our prospects. And it was such a long list. I said, but that's unmanageable. It's overwhelming and you can't actually act on all of those names. So I always say, let's avoid random acts of outreach and trying to do things that aren't going to yield high results is that you want to segment who you're doing outreach to, who you're doing marketing to, so that you are you're deliberately deciding the type of outreach and effort you're going to make based on the potential yield. So what I always say is, here's the segments I use. It doesn't have to be really fancy. I will look at everybody in my network, and I put them into three categories. Hot prospects. And so these are people that know me. I know I could get a meeting with them. I have a pretty good idea that they need something that I can deliver. And I think I could get a contract with them in a relatively short period of time. And then I have my medium hot prospects. And those are people that I'm pretty sure I could get a meeting with. It might take a little longer for me to get a contract. But Those are the folks in those two categories that are worth the extra time and energy to cultivate direct. Then there's everybody else in my network. Until they become hot or medium hot prospects, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me for me to go and have, you know, drinks or dinner or Zoom calls because that's spending a whole bunch of time that is not generating revenue for something that really isn't a hot enough lead that it's worth that extra time. So those are the folks that I will do um, other types of marketing strategies with. I actually, using a phishing analogy, I call it big net strategies, where Mm -hmm. I will send out a networking email. I have a very specific way that I do it because I'm trying to get my network to give me access to their network. And so I send out an email. It's, I, have a, I actually have email templates for free that people can get that I go through the whole thing of exactly how to do them to make it as low burden as possible and increase the likelihood that they actually follow up for me. 
that's the type of thing that I will do with everybody else in my network. I will send out content that is relevant to them. I will put things on, you know, LinkedIn that I know that they're interested in and I'll tag them. Then there's all the folks that are in my market that I don't yet know or I don't have a connection with. And that's where the marketing piece really comes in. And again, that's multiple channels. That's, you know, doing webinars, you know, back when we could go to conferences, it was, you know, doing things at conferences that display your knowledge. It's, you know, really leveraging LinkedIn since there's not a lot of content on LinkedIn yet. So you can really stand out. But those are the folks that I'll do sort of broad-based marketing. I even within the marketing, I segment like who am I trying to do what with. But the folks that I think have a high yield potential, that's who I spend my extra time with. And if I do that, I get more clients because now I'm using the time that I'm I'm spending doing business development in a focused, clear and segmented way. Yeah, that's a, a very detailed answer and, uh, and and very good. I mean, those three uh, um, distinction that you make with your with your prospect is so important uh, because uh, is, is for 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 uh, one of the struggles that come is the uh, the definition of maybe what's your uh, ideal profile, the ideal. Uh, yeah. prospect that you should uh, that you should go for uh taking the time to uh to define it is important because it it would save us uh time and uh time and energy absolutely and, uh, as you said the two first years are also crucial uh sometimes the sales cycle can be long as well so yeah better uh <laughs> yeah but the ideal client you mentioned you're right i i think that is so critical because otherwise if you're trying to be all things to everyone First of all, you're going to be spinning your wheels with a scattershot approach doing marketing and outreach. But the other thing is it sends really unclear signals into your market that signals that aren't actionable. If I'm a client on the other side and I hear that you're everything to everyone, that has nothing to do with me. First of all, I don't believe it (laughs) because that doesn't sound legit. But I, it's not about me and it's not about my pain points. It's not about the things that I care about. So why would that get my attention? Why would that get my interest? It wouldn't. So knowing who your ideal client is means that you can now have a conversation, whether it's through marketing or outreach, with folks that are more likely going to convert into clients. Yes, yes, totally, uh, t- totally agree. Uh, I think we have covered a lot of uh, a lot of subjects. It's very complete. It's, it sounds like a complete interview with for me. <laughs> about, <laughs> I'm so uh, glad. About consulting and. Uh, starting a consulting business. So um, uh, so for you, Deb, I will uh, ask you the, the question that I ask to every guest is, um, uh, for you, Deb, what does having a, a consulting lifestyle mean? Well, it means a few things. So first of all, it means that I get to be of service. So I'm a consultant. I make a really good living, but ultimately I do it because I want to help people and I want to help the world. So it, al- it allows me to do that. The other thing is it gives me the freedom and flexibility in my life that is really important to me. So I have, you know, I moved my mom up the street from us and she's turning 80 this year. You wouldn't know it. She's a jock. She kayaks and bikes and she's, she's one of those crazy healthy people. 
but I want to spend time with her while she's healthy and and before it gets to the point where all we're doing is going to doctor's appointments. So this being a consultant and being an independent consultant lets me do that so that I can spend time with her. I can spend time with my husband and I can do the other things that are meaningful to me. Yes. Yes. So important. So being of service and the freedom and the flexibility. So at Deb, it was uh, it was an amazing uh, an amazing interview. Uh, you gave very good uh, very good points. Uh, I noted a few quotes as well. I I, <laughs> I really think that the audience will uh, uh, will like it, uh, and it would be a pleasure to uh, to have you again on the show uh, uh, next time. I would love it. Thank you so much. Oh, I will be yes, and I would just ask one thing: uh, is um, where can people find you if people want to uh, get in touch with you? It's really easy. Go to uh, the website, craftofconsulting.com. And there, I also have a lot of free tools that you can download and use to start building and growing your consulting business. And all you have to do is give me your email and you get, I think I have five or six free tools you can use, including the email sequence for reaching out to your network. Oh, excellent. So I'm going to put uh, those links in the show notes. Uh, and uh, Deb, it would be a pleasure to, uh, to have you again on the show. Thank I you would very love much. it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Consulting Lifestyle Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes if you have enjoyed the episode and subscribe to the podcast so that you get notified to hear other episodes with your host, Diogène Tirandekoura.